Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. What they see in their mom, but I think what it reveals is that we live most of life feeling inadequate to do the thing that's in front of us to do. And that feeling of inadequacy, although we might feel inadequate about different things, the feeling is the same. And so when you watch something that reveals that sense of feeling inadequate about being a mom, even all the homies in the house are crying. Because we all have something in our world where we're like, yeah, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to not know what to do. And you know what? I, I know what it feels like to not know if what I'm doing is good. I remember Sophie, this happened last year. It was amazing. It was around this time of year. And so at school, they start doing projects to kind of overwhelm you with 18,000 pieces of construction paper as a parent that you can't throw away, right? It's just the Mother's Day, everything happens at school, and so they're bringing home all of this stuff. Now, Sophie last year was in third grade, and, and something matters to this story is that we were living in Waco, and we, were, we, we walked with these, we had the dearest friends in the world, Carl and Blair Gully. They're some of our best friends on earth. And we did everything with their family. Our families were like one family. We did everything together. We hung out together. We ate together. We vacationed together. We did everything together. And why that matters is that Sophie comes home from school, and she's telling Liz, you know, Mom, at school, our teacher told us to, like, think about a mom, our mom, or someone who's mothered us. Now, the reason... The teacher said that was because in the class, there's, there's a lot of different relational realities, right? Some tragedies happen, maybe some drama where mom is not in the family or they're being raised by somebody else. And so the teacher is given a preface, like you can write a paper about your mom or somebody who's mothered you, somebody who's comforted you. And so she's saying this to Liz, like, mom, we're supposed to write this paper about somebody who's mothered us and who's cared for us. And you can almost kind of hear the Hallmark music playing in the background. You know, it's just like that, that you just see it coming. It's like, man, this is a life moment that you can't even script. Like, pull the cameras out. You know, this is going to be the greatest encouragement of all time. And so, and so Liz is just standing there just looking, you know, getting moist in the eyes. And, and Sophie's like, yeah, Mom, I was just thinking about, man, this person who's just, like, impacted me and just comforts me and loves me so much and is, like, always there for me and I can always talk to her. And she's just like a dear friend and I just wanted to know how much I love her. So I'm going to write the paper about Miss Blair. You know, Liz looks at me like, Miss Blair. I mean, you ever felt like you're like, can you even see me? Can you even see me? Where was Miss Blair this morning? Where was Miss Blair when you were blowing out your diapers? Miss Blair was not there. Write some paper about Miss Blair. What you talking about? I love that because it just demonstrates that God loves me because stuff doesn't happen in people's families like that unless you're a preacher. Like that kind of stuff 
is like, man, God allows your kids to say stuff that gives you fodder for a sermon. Because the truth is that when she said that to Liz, I had this thought. Man, the feeling of being inadequate, not knowing what to do, is actually not as bad as wondering if what you're doing is even noticed. That emotion, actually, that question, not the, how, not the what am I going to do, the how am I doing question is bigger, or you could even say louder, and it's knit right into this reality of feeling inadequate to do what we need to do. And, you know, it's amazing to me because we chase the answer to that question. Don't we? We chase it in relationships. Am I doing okay? Am I doing okay? And we, we look for the answer to that question sometimes in relationships with our spouse, relationships with our kids, relationships with our boss. Are we doing okay? Am I doing okay? And we think that if we achieve some level of success, then the question is going to go away, right? Have you ever had that thought? Like at your job, you're like, man, am I doing Okay. And then you get a, you're like, well, if I get a raise, then I know that they're going to think that I'm doing okay. And then you get a raise, but the question of am I doing okay doesn't seem to change at all. I, I love music. I love musicians. And I was, uh, I, I, I love making music. So I, I oftentimes will try to find documentaries on really successful musicians because I'm fascinated by their process of creativity. And how they create the things that they create. And so I find this documentary on this musician named John Mayer. Anybody ever heard of John Mayer? Regardless of what you think about John Mayer, all right, if you think he's incredible or a sleazeball, the fact is that the dude can play guitar. Okay, like you cannot argue with that. The homie can play guitar really, really good. Like really, really good. And so you would think that he's not going to struggle with the how am I doing question. Because he's like one of the greatest. And in this documentary, they showed like a part of a concert. And he's walking off of the stage, okay? This blew my mind. It's a stadium, sold out stadium show. 50,000 plus people. Each person screaming so loud it sounds like a jet engine, okay? Each person that's there probably paid over $100, probably $150 a person to be there, at least. And they are screaming so loud that you can't even hear the music at times. And he walks off this deafening, screaming roar, and he's walking through the hallway, and he looks at his band, and the whole way down the hallway, he's asking this question, did I do okay? Did did I really do okay? Was it okay? Man, I don't know about that one part, man. Is that, is that, is that, I mean, you would think of all people that you would not wrestle with the how am I doing question on the back end of obviously doing so well that people by the thousands are going to scream your name and pay hundreds of dollars to tell you that you're doing okay. The question must not actually be answered ever in how successful we become. The how am I doing question is not answered by the praises of man, by the encouragements of your spouse, by the encouragement of your kids. The how am I doing question is answered in the reflection 
that you see in the mirror. Isn't it crazy how when you look in the mirror, you have a monologue? Does this happen to anybody else? You look in the mirror, you automatically start having a conversation with yourself. Just me, huh? Y'all ain't going to talk to me this morning? No, you all do. You look in the mirror, even a glimpse. You walk into the bathroom, you even just catch a corner of the eye. That monologue begins. The, The question is answered. And the reflection that we see in the mirror. And isn't it interesting that most of the conversation that we have in the mirror, this is trippy to do this because I can still see you. Most of the conversation that we have sounds a lot like the first part of the video that we watch, doesn't it? That's what that conversation sounds like. That's what that monologue sounds like. It sounds like. I wish I was different. I wish I was more patient. I wish I didn't do what I did. I wish I wouldn't have done what I just did. I wish I didn't look the way that I looked. How come you can't get your act together on that thing? Rarely, if ever, do you look in the mirror and go, dang, I got it going on. Look at that dude right there looking fresh. That's not what happens when you look in the mirror, right? Because what happens when we look in the mirror is we begin to wrestle with the how am I doing question because you're faced with yourself. You're faced with the conversation that sometimes we try to drown out with momentary success. And we hope that the conversation silences even just for a few seconds, as people tell us that we're doing okay. It's amazing how fast encouragement can leave you, isn't it? Why does that happen? Have you ever wondered why encouragement seems to not stick? It's because the reflection, the monologue that's going on right here doesn't match the reflection that God sees when he sees you. There's two reflections. There's two reflections. There's what we see, and then there's what God sees. And the collision of those reflections can create tension in our walk with God, can it? Have you ever had a moment with Jesus where you leave a worship time and you're like, oh, Jesus, I can do anything. Right? You found your inner, like, black church woman. You're like, oh, give me something. You know what I mean? I'm about to take that mountain. Like, you find that person. And, 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 and then you walk down the street and you're like, I don't know. I think I was just caught up in the hype because what I feel right now is not what I felt over there. So that must have not have been me. It must have been the person next to me. I just got a little overflow. There's somebody in the Bible, I think, that can reveal us much about having a reflection transformation, a reflection 
transformation to begin to put an end to the question of how am I doing, the feeling of inadequacy that I'm not enough, I can't do enough, for those voices to be silenced and to go away. We need a reflection transformation, and I think that we get a key by looking at a young man's life named Gideon. Gideon, I relate to this dude a lot, mostly because God spoke to him And he responded exactly how I respond when God speaks to me. You got to understand what was going on. When Gideon, uh, when the story of Gideon happens in the book of Judges, the people of Israel were in the middle of some crazy. Everything that could have gone wrong was going wrong. They were struggling on every side. They didn't have any money. They had no resources. They had nothing. They had been completely overrun. Here's what's crazy about it. They had put themselves in this situation. God said, look, honor me, and I'm going to honor you. And they decided, no, I'm not going to honor you. I'm going to honor the idol Baal. And so with that, God gave him, gave the people over to the consequences of their decision. So look, you can act like, you can can talk to me like this. Look, if you're going to act crazy, crazy is going to follow you. Don't be surprised, right? You're going to go act a fool foolishness is going to follow you. Don't be like, I don't know how this happened. No, you do. You act crazy, crazy follows you. All of this stuff in the Bible is not rocket scientists. Like, you act crazy, crazy is going to follow you. The people of Israel had acted crazy, and crazy had followed them. And now they were completely overrun by the the Aminianites and the Midianites. A lot of ites going on. Okay, and these dudes had they they were so overtaken by these two kingdoms that the people of Israel would go out and plant wheat. They would try to get some food source going. And as soon as there was a little sprout, the Bible would say that it would look like the field was covered by a swarm of locusts because everybody and their cattle and their cousin and their mama's dog was all over the field devouring and stealing and ravaging everything that they had done. They were in trouble. They were overrun. They were inadequate to handle what was in front of them, and they cried out to God. I wish I had time to spend on that one right there. And they cried. Are you thankful? Are you thankful that when we cry out to God in the middle of a situation that we got ourselves in, he still comes? And they cried out to God, God, rescue us. Help us. That's where we're going to pick up our story, Judges 6, starting in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrim that belonged to Jehoshite, the Abizite, I don't know if that's how you say it, but it kind of has a good ring to it. Where, the, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. This is me. All right. This, this, I get this dude right here. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me? Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that are, can you hear the sarcasm? Where are all the wonders of our ancestors told us about Jesus? Do not the, do, do not the Lord, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Now the Lord has abandoned us and given us over to the hand of Midian? 
And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I'm not, am I not sending you? Pardon me? Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. And I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I'll be with you. And you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. The Lord speaks to Gideon. Mighty man of valor. And Gideon goes, nah. You know where I'm at right now? I'm in a wine press threshing wheat. Okay? I am here because this is a good hiding place. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. What do you do, church? You press wine in a wine press. Okay? He's threshing wheat in a wine press because he's too much of a coward to do his work in front of people because he knows that if they come, he has no strength to withstand them. He was weak. He was a coward. The reflection that he saw when he looked in the mirror was a man who hid from his enemies, not attacked his enemies, not defended the people of God, a man that hid in a wine press to thresh wheat. That was the reflection that he saw. And then God said, that's not the reflection. Behold, mighty warrior, two reflections. Two reflections. And Gideon begins this process of testing if that reflection is actually real. Well, why is this happening to me? Why are the Midianites taking over us? If you're with us, then why aren't you with us? And God's like, I am. I'm with you. Go in the strength you have. He's like, whoa, 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 that's not what I see, dude. What I see is a man that's hiding from my enemies. He's like, you're going to go deliver the people of Israel. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's very different than what I've heard my entire life. What I've heard is that I'm part of the weakest family, and I'm the weakest person in the family. That's his monologue when he looks into the mirror. His monologue is, I'm the weakest of everybody. I'm the weakest of the weakest family and the weakest family and the weakest clan in the tribe of Israel. I'm as low as it goes. That's what's going on. That's the reflection that he sees. I'm a coward. I'm weak. I'm a failure. I'm not going to amount to anything. I'm worth nothing. And God says, behold, man of valor. He begins to introduce this idea that there's another reflection. There's another reflection that's going to shape his destiny. You know, this passage is preached all the time, usually not on Mother's Day, but I'm crazy. Oftentimes, pastors will get on to Gideon for his lack of faith. And they'll say, Gideon, after hearing this promise from God, asked God to show up in these different signs Three different times. 
And they would say, Gideon shouldn't have done that. Gideon should have just said, yes, Lord. You're my deliverer. I put my hope in you because God showed up. Have you ever had an encounter with God and then left and you realize that that encounter didn't change the, change the monologue of your reflection? What we see in this story is Gideon wrestling with two monologues, two reflections inside of him. And he says, all right, hold up. If you're God, if this is really you, I'm going to go prepare a sacrifice really quick. He goes, he gets a goat, he gets some unleavened bread, he puts it on a rock. And he's like, do something. And God's like, yeah, cool, no problem. And then fire comes, bam, consumes it. And he's like, okay, I'm in. Because God showed up and demonstrated to him that his reflection, what he saw in him was greater than what Gideon saw in himself. And this is what's nuts, is that he takes a step in the right direction of God's reflection. And God says, okay, step one, I want you to go tear down the idol of Baal in your dad's house. And so Gideon's like, okay, cool. But he's still in the wrestle, right? He's still in the understanding that there's a conversation. And he's got to understand that the reflection of God is soon going to silence the reflection of himself. But it hadn't yet silenced it. He had had an encounter with God. God had showed up in power. But there's some rewiring in the monologue of the reflection that needs to happen. And so Gideon takes a step, but he doesn't take a sprint. I think oftentimes we feel like to move forward with Jesus, we have to take a sprint. All Gideon did was take a step because he said, okay, I'm going to go do it, but I'm going to go tear it down at night when no one's there and no one can see me. That doesn't sound like a mighty warrior, right? No, that sounds like somebody who says, I think I'm supposed to be a mighty warrior. But right now I still feel really inadequate, so I'm going to go at night. I'm going to do it when nobody can see me. But he does it. Here's what's crazy. He does it. And the town wakes up, and they see what's happened. And they're like, what happened to our idol of Baal? And all of a sudden, Gideon's dad changes his script. Where do you think Gideon heard that he was from the weakest family and he was the weakest in the weakest family? Where do you think he heard that? You think he created that? No, his dad spoke that over him. That's called a family story. This is how we live. Maybe it wasn't told to him, but it was demonstrated to him. Gideon, this is how we live, man. We're just weak and we're the weakest of the weak. We keep our head down. We thresh wheat in the wine press. That's what we do. It was modeled for him. That was his family's monologue. That's why he said, I'm from the weakest family. That was his family's story. And his dad must have been weak as well, must have seen himself as weak as well. But his dad changes his scripts on the confidence of Gideon's obedience. How many of you know that when you take a step in the direction of breakthrough, that it has family repercussions? It begins to change how your family lives, how your family breathes, how your family moves forward in crisis and in need. And Gideon tore down the idol of Baal. And what ended up happening is the town was coming to kill him. And his his dad stands up, the father of the weakest family who raised the weakest son, and said, let Baal defend himself. 
Think about that. They had been worshiping this God for years, and now all of a sudden, because of Gideon's act of courage, there was a supernatural anointing that came on Gideon that had repercussions in his family to experience the power of courage. And so his dad stands up and says, if Baal's such a big deal, let him defend himself. And so they wait, and guess what happened? Nothing. So then the people were like, all right, we're with Gideon. And it says that Gideon blew a trumpet. And gathered all the men to himself and said, we're about to go take over. We're going to destroy the Midianites. And you know what happens right after that? He's got all the men. They're ready to follow him. You know what he does? He pulls away. And he's like, God, um, if this is really you, I got this blanket right here. My mom made it for me. I'm going to put it on the ground. I'm going to sleep on this real quick because this is getting real. I'm going to put it on the ground, and I want the blanket to get wet, but I don't want any of the ground to get wet. Isn't it funny how we sometimes feel bad for asking God to remind us who we are? I think this is the power of the story of Gideon. Gideon had just experienced enormous breakthrough, but the internal conversation of inadequacy had not yet been conquered. And so even though he's standing looking at the men that God had given him to lead to take over and do what God had called him to do, he still has a voice inside of him telling him, you don't have what it takes. You are too weak. You are inadequate. You are not made for this. You are the wrong guy for the job. And so Gideon, in the face of breakthrough, says, God, Can you show me one more time? And you know what's great about God is that he does. Isn't it funny? God doesn't even say anything. He's like, sure. Yeah. No sweat, dude. And he wakes up, and the ground is dry, and the blanket is so wet that they wring it out, and it fills up a bucket. And you would think like, oh, man, Gideon got it. But no, because there's still a conversation going on. He still has what has been drilled in his head. That monologue of inadequacy and failure and lack has been drilled so deep inside of him that even on the back end of picking up a wet blanket, he goes, God, don't be mad at me. But can we do it in reverse? Can everything else around it be wet? But just the blanket be dry, you would think that God would be like, come on, dude, for real. What else do I got to do? Fire from heaven, coming and speaking to you, hanging out under an oak tree, finding you when you were hiding from everybody else, making a blanket wet on the ground, you know, filling it up a bucket with water. There's more water than should even be held in that blanket. And you're going to be, no, that's not how God responds. And that's not how God responds to you. You go to God and you're like, God, I need you to tell me again who you say that I am. What's the reflection that you say that I am? He's never going to smite you. He's never going to be angry at you. He's going to be like, I'm going to give you a blanket. I'm going to give you a blanket of remembrance. And you can ask me to do this drill every single day. If you want this to happen every single day, I'll do it for you every single day. Isn't it interesting? God doesn't tell him to stop it. He eventually just stops it because the voice begins to change. The monologue in himself begins to shift. He no longer sees himself as the weak, 
failure from the weakest failing family, he begins to see him through the reflection of the eyes of the Father in heaven that said, mighty man of valor, to such a degree that he took 300 men and surrounded the camp and conquered the Midianites to make a point to make a point that our victory doesn't come with strength. Our victory doesn't come with our own power. Our victory doesn't come with numbers, resources. Our victory comes when we begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us and no longer the lies that silence us from doing the things that God has created us to do can rob us of the breakthrough that we're created to walk through. I believe that this morning, God wants to give some of us a blanket. Some of us need to remember who God says we are. The reflection of heaven so that you can take this blanket home. And when you wake up in the morning and the feelings that you're having right now, that you can do anything with God. That the lies are finally gone when you wake up in the morning and you get tempted to walk in the guilt of last year. When you get tempted to walk in the failure of last week. When you get tempted to believe the lies that maybe you believed your entire life. That you're going to amount to nothing. That you're nothing but an addict. You're nothing but a leftover. You're the weakest of the weak. You're never going to be successful. You can't provide for your family. You can't even provide for yourself. That you can take those voices and you can say, hold up, God. I'll put this blanket down real quick. Can you remind me? Can you tell me one more time who you say that I am? Because I'm having a conversation that's not the right conversation. I think God wants to raise up a church that carries blankets around. And when the lies come, to believe that your past is bigger than your future, you can pick up your blanket and you can say, hold up. Can you make it wet again? Just one more time. Just one more time. Just make it wet again. Show me that you're with me. Show me that what you said is bigger than what I hear. Show me. Just one more time. And the grace of Jesus is going to demonstrate his reflection of how he sees you over and over and over and over and over again. And that lie of inadequacy, mom's feeling like you're a failure, dad's feeling like you're a failure, kids feeling like you're a failure, the lie of inadequacy will become silenced as the question of how am I doing is answered with a blanket. A demonstration of how God sees you. Gideon ended up believing what God said was true as he aggressively attacked the lies with a demonstration. I think sometimes we let the lies of the enemy bully us around. And God's just like, you know what? Could you just get a blanket? Put it on the ground. 
I'm going to show you that I'm with you. This conversation ends this morning. And this conversation begins. And the collision of how he sees us and how we see us is going to collide. And it's going to be challenging. But how we make it through the other side is saying, God, would you show me again? Show me again. Show me again. Would you stand with me?